This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This year during Advent, we've talked about some of the unsung heroes of the birth story of Jesus. The last two weeks, we've talked about uh, people that we don't normally give quite as much attention to. Uh, We've talked about the Holy Spirit, right, the the third person of the Trinity. We've talked about Joseph. Today, we're going to talk about a place. We're going to talk about Egypt as one of the the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. So each week, you know, we've kind of thought of these stars above us. If you think of those, those big stars that are hanging, they're kind of the the main characters that get a lot of attention every Christmas. That's Mary, it's the shepherds, it's the wise men. Then there's some of those secondary stars, uh, more like Joseph, the Holy Spirit. And then there's some of those really small stars that are just kind of on the periphery of the Jesus story. And Egypt is definitely one of those. Um, But what we'll see today with the, the story of Egypt, especially in the birth story of Jesus, is that sometimes the places we don't want to go are the exact places God sends us to accomplish his purposes, both in our lives and in the world around us. Now, if, if you're very familiar with the story of Egypt in the scriptures, you know that uh, Egypt is often kind of has some negative connotations, right? And is, and is often kind of viewed as a place that you don't necessarily want to be. And even if it's not referred to directly, if it's used as an illustration, it's often used as a land that God's people came out of and don't want to go back to. But if you start to read through the story of Egypt, going all the way back to Genesis, you see that Egypt was at times not just a place God's people were trying to escape from, but was often a place God allowed his people to go into for their own protection and their own preservation. So if you go all the way back to Genesis 12, you find Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, going into Egypt to escape a famine. And there his family grows, there he thrives, he continues to pursue the path that God has for him to become a great nation as numerous as the stars in the sky. You keep reading later in Genesis, chapters 37 through 50, you find the story of Joseph. Joseph is a descendant of Abraham. God has a powerful calling on Joseph's life, but Joseph has some jealous brothers who sell him off into slavery. He's taken into Egypt, where he eventually winds up in prison, and yet God arranges the circumstances of his life to lead him into Pharaoh's palace, the ruler of Egypt. Joseph rises to second in command of all of Egypt. He protects the nation from a famine. And during that time, God reconnects Joseph with his family who are suffering from the famine in Israel. They come out of what will become the promised land. They come into Egypt. Joseph gets them settled in kind of an an overlooked corner of Egypt where they begin to grow and they begin to thrive. They're safe, they're protected, and they're preserved. Over the coming centuries, that small clan of Joseph's family grows into the beginnings of a mighty nation. But the the, the story of the Jews in Egypt starts to take a negative turn in Exodus, where there's pharaohs that come to power in the centuries after Joseph has died. They don't know his story. They don't know who he was. All they see is this group of foreigners who worship a different God, who live a different way, and the leaders of Egypt decide we have to enslave these people so that they don't join our enemies and overthrow our power. So in Exodus, then, we find the story of Egypt primarily as a place of suffering, a place of bondage, of slavery, of hard labor, of death, a place that God's people want to get out of. In Exodus, we're introduced to Moses, who is born in Egypt. He's born to his Jewish mother, and there's an order for all male babies to be killed, put out by the Egyptian Pharaoh, who has decided the nation or this group of people are growing too fast and growing too powerful. 
Moses' mother disobeys. She places him in a river. Moses is found by one of Pharaoh's daughters who brings him into the palace. He's raised as one of Pharaoh's own family members and all the wisdom and the education of the Egyptians while maintaining his very Jewish heritage and belief in God. As Moses identifies more with the people of God than with the palace of Egypt, eventually it leads him to a, a crisis point where he's driven out of Egypt into the desert. It's in the desert on the, the kind of the backside of Egypt where God comes and speaks to Moses and tells him, I'm going to use you to speak to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt. This is where most of our negative connotations of Egypt come from, the story of the Exodus. Moses goes back. We, we've heard the stories of the ten plagues, these mighty demonstrations of God's power and God's presence. And eventually, they are led out of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. He closes the waters over Pharaoh and his army. And God's people are set free from Egypt as a place of bondage, a place of suffering. And they begin their journey into the Promised Land. As you keep reading through the Old Testament, you find Egypt is mentioned several times. Often it's mentioned as a warning. Sometimes it's mentioned as a threat. And then occasionally it's mentioned as a place of safety and protection for God's people. But what I want us to think about today is we usually have a very negative understanding of Egypt when it comes to its place in the Scriptures. But before it was a place of slavery, it was a place God sent his people to be protected. Before it was a place of bondage, it was a place God sent his people to be fed during times of famine. Before it was a place that they wanted to get out of, it was a place he sent them into so that they would grow and thrive. It was in Egypt that this small clan became the beginnings of a mighty nation. It was in Egypt that the, that the Jewish people witnessed the ten plagues and were affirmed in their faith that there is one true God and there is no other like him in heaven or on earth. It was in Egypt that they developed their identity as the distinct people of God, separate from the pagan religions that surrounded them. It was in Egypt that they learned to hear God's voice and they learned to follow him. It was in Egypt where they saw God's mighty right hand on display for them. And so for all of the negative connotations of Egypt, what we see many times in the scripture is it is a place that God used to achieve his purposes for his people and ultimately for all of us that would come after. Now, as you move into the New Testament, Egypt is really only mentioned here in the birth story of Jesus. In fact, we'll pick it up if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. We looked at this last week when we talked about the story of Joseph, but in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus has been born. There is a ruler in Israel named King Herod who's been appointed by the Roman authorities. King Herod is a violent and paranoid king. He's afraid that everyone is out to get his throne all the time. In fact, King Herod, uh, history tells us he had killed three of his own sons and a couple of his own wives because he thought they were threats to his throne. Herod's uh, reputation for violence was so great that Caesar once referred to Herod and said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, meaning you had a better chance of not dying as his livestock than his offspring. So when the Magi come to Herod and they say, we've come to worship the king of the Jews, Herod is immediately threatened and, as, as he often does, resorts to violence. He begins to set in motion a plan of, I'm going to find out where this kid is and I'm going to kill him before he can grow up and become a threat to my throne. Well, the Lord obviously sees this and knows this, and so where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2 this morning is when an angel of the Lord comes and appears to Joseph in a dream and warns him to get out of Israel and head to Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. 
Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now Egypt had to feel like a setback for Joseph. There's, there's no way that when he gets this message from the angel that he's excited for it. Think of the, the turmoil that Joseph and Mary have already been through, right? And, and then there's this calling of, well, so we're just going to take Jesus into Egypt. So Mary and Joseph, they're living in Nazareth, and in Nazareth, they have their lives planned out. They're going to get married. Things are going to go well. Joseph's going to work. They're going to raise a family. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to a son. And she says, how can that be? I'm a virgin. He says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will take care of it. And then she becomes pregnant. And she tells Joseph. And Joseph decides he's going to divorce her quietly. And then an angel appears to her and says, no, take her as your wife. The son that will be born, you name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. And so they have this big calling on their life, but it also comes at great personal risk. Then shortly before Mary is due to give birth, there's a, a, a decree that comes out from the Roman government requiring Joseph to go back to his ancestral hometown of Bethlehem. So he loads up his very pregnant wife. They begin a journey of about 80 miles, 90 miles, and they head from Nazareth to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. Mary gives birth in a stable. It doesn't seem like things are going well since the angel showed up. And yet, that's when everything starts to turn. In Bethlehem, they start to understand who this child really is. The baby is born, and then the shepherds show up, and they begin to tell Mary and Joseph, there was an angel that showed up and said, glory to God in the highest and peace on those in whom his favor rests. And they told us that there's good news of great joy that today in the town of David, a child is born. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And Mary and Joseph are starting to have this affirmation of, okay, this is great. We're moving in the right direction. When Jesus is eight days old, they make the trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. They take him to the temple to circumcise him. When they do, there's an old prophet named Simeon who grabs Jesus in his arms and basically says, now I can die in peace. My eyes have seen the salvation of Israel. There's a prophetess named Anna who comes and she does the same thing. She blesses Mary and Joseph and speaks prophetically about what Jesus will do. And they're receiving all of this affirmation. We're here. We're in the right place. It's the right time. God is working. God is moving. They go back to Bethlehem. And at some point, maybe it's a year, maybe it's a two year, we're not really sure, the wise men show up. And they show up bringing extravagant gifts to Mary and Joseph. And they say, we saw a star in the east, and we knew it signified that the king of the Jews have, was born, and we've come to worship him. And Mary and Joseph receive this affirmation of, this is great. Now people are bringing us stuff, right? And it's good, and it's awesome, and it's helpful, and these are good things. And God is not only speaking to us, but he's speaking to others. He's not just speaking to the righteous and devout in Israel, but he's speaking to men from all over the world about the arrival of our son, and maybe those messages were actually true. And right as things seem like they're going really, really well, Joseph has a dream, and the angel says, get up and go to Egypt. And it's almost impossible that Joseph was excited for this move. For those of you who've had young families, you know what it's like in that first year or two, right? It's what you, if you're out of that, you don't really remember it. It's just a haze. You're just chasing your tail. And like, it's really cute for us to look at Jason and Lacey this morning, but all of us who have been there are like, thank God I'm not there anymore. 
right? You remember that of like two kids, two and under, three kids, three and under, four kids, five and under, six kids, seven and under. All of those families are in Christian chapel and they would all tell you it's wild and crazy, right? Because you're just chasing your tail. Mary and Joseph have all of that. Plus they have the added responsibility of, hey, don't let him fall off a cliff because he's the savior of the world. Like no pressure, but take care of him. And so things are finally settling in. They're hitting their rhythm as a nice young family. And then an angel shows up and says, load up and go to Egypt. And so one more time, Joseph has to obey and he loads up his wife and he loads up his young son. They make another 80 to 90 mile journey into Egypt and it has to feel like a setback. I mean, can you imagine the questions Mary and Joseph would have on the road from Bethlehem to Egypt? Why is God sending us into Egypt? How can Jesus be sit on the throne of the king of David if we're going to live in a foreign land where there's another king on the throne? How can he save Israel from their sins if we're being banished out of Israel? So many questions that would have come. And yet you and I know, because we've been able to read the rest of the story, that there are reasons God sends Joseph and Mary and Jesus into Egypt. The two primary reasons, first of all, is he sends Jesus into Egypt to save his life. There's a very real threat. Herod follows through. He kills all the boys two years and under in Bethlehem. There's a real threat to his life, and so they have to flee. The the secondary reason that we see that they send Jesus into Egypt is because Jesus is modeling for us that he is the true and perfect Israel. And so just as the people of God went into Egypt and then were led back out of Egypt into the promised land, so Jesus, as the fulfillment of everything Israel was ever supposed to do, goes into Egypt and then he comes back out of Egypt. But this time he doesn't come back out just to possess the promised land. He comes back out to establish the throne of David that will rule forever and will welcome all people from every place into his kingdom. See, there's always a bigger picture to the life of Jesus. There's always a bigger picture to our life. God is always working in ways we don't understand. And then there's a third reason, I think, that that God sends Jesus into Egypt and one that should bring a lot of comfort to you and I today. God sends Jesus into Egypt as a, a fulfillment of the promise of the angels that they have showed up with good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, Jesus's journey into Egypt is a reminder to us he doesn't just come for the righteous and the devout of Israel. It's not just for the Joseph and Marys and the Simeons and Annas. It's not just for people who've always done everything right, who've always followed the Lord, who are seeking what he wants to do in this moment. But Jesus comes for those who've been born in the land of deep darkness. He comes for those on whom light has not shined. And he enters into the places where other religious leaders would avoid. He enters into the spaces where we would think leaders should not go. And his presence in Egypt is a reminder to you and I today that he still shows up where we don't expect him. He still shows up where we don't think he should go. And he still comes to bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. If you and I had the ability to travel to Egypt this morning and celebrate Christmas with our Egyptian brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the first things we would notice is the prominent role of Jesus in Egypt in their telling of the Christmas story. They emphasize it over and over and over again, of Jesus came here. Our land was part of God's eternal plan. Our cities, our town, he walked on our sand. He's been in our space. They celebrate it as they should. I mean, can you imagine if it was Jesus had come to Oklahoma? Like, we would celebrate that every year. 
we'd be telling the whole world, look at us. Jesus came here. This is what he did. And, and so for Egyptian Christians today, even as they remain a, a minority in their land, they still cling to this promise of Jesus not only came, but he's still coming. He's still arriving. He's still bringing good news of great joy. And as you trace the history of the church in Egypt, you see there are times where it's grown, there are times where it's shrunk, but it has never been extinguished. And it's never been extinguished, not just because Jesus went there, but because Jesus is still there. And it's the same good news for you and I today. Whatever Egypt might be, if it's a place, if it's a season of life, Jesus is there. He's working and he's moving. And so when we see Jesus going into Egypt, it's an invitation for us to consider how is God with me in seasons, in places, in relationships where things are not how I want them to be. And so so what I want you to think about for just a moment is what is your Egypt? maybe, Maybe it's somewhere in the past, it was a season of life you went through where things were awful and terrible and you you couldn't wait to get out. Maybe it's a, a moment that you're in right now where you're just waiting for God to deliver you. You're waiting for him to lead you into the promised land. I don't know what it is. One, one caveat before we start, though, sometimes we lead ourselves into bad places through our own sinful and destructive choices. And so, so if that's where you're at this morning, if you look at your life and you think, yeah, the whole thing feels like Egypt, feels like slavery, feels like bondage, feels like separation from God, feels like the land of deep darkness, if you know that's because of my sinful choices, then the good news is you can get out of Egypt today. It's a simple prayer of repentance. It's a turning away from those old destructive behaviors, and Jesus rushes in like a flood to forgive your sins, to lead you on a path of righteousness, and to take you out. But what I want us to think about this morning is what do we do when we're pretty sure God has led us into Egypt? When we know this is not where I chose, this is not where I want to be, and yet God has clearly directed my path, and here I am. What do you do when, like Joseph, God gives you a clear direction and you think, do I have to? I really don't want to. And if you follow him long enough, you're going to have those. And and so just a, a couple quick reminders for you this morning. First of all, When you're in Egypt, God is with you in Egypt. It would have been very easy for Joseph and Mary to feel like when they left the promised land, they left the presence of God. For the Israelites, they they associated the power, the rule, the majesty of God with the, the physical land in Israel. That's where God dwelt among his people. And so to be called into Egypt, it would have been easy for them to feel like they had been cast out of God's presence. But what we see in the story of Jesus is God never calls you to a place where he's not already active. And so Joseph and Mary on the road to Egypt, they have to know we have to find a home, we have to find a job, we have to figure out how to support our family, we have to do all of these things, and yet they were walking in confidence knowing if God told us to go here, then God has gone before us. And you and I can have the same confidence this morning. I I don't know what your Egypt might be. Maybe it's a job that you don't want to work, but you have to. Maybe it's a home you were raised in that you wish was not part of your family story. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with friends or or other people that is just rough and rocky. Maybe it's unfulfilled dreams. Maybe it's unmet expectations. It could be that, that you're longing to be married and that is not being fulfilled. You're longing to start a family and it's not happening. 
It could be a dream for a certain career path and that door seems closed. It might, might feel like there's a, a dream college you've always wanted to get into and it's not happening. It might be a, a situation with one of your children that you didn't ask for and can't wait to get out of because it's difficult and hard and heartbreaking. But what I want you to understand this morning is whatever your Egypt might be, God is there. You will never go to a place where his spirit is absent. And especially when God leads you. If he leads you into Egypt, he has gone before you. And when you arrive there, he's going to surround you. He's going to be above you. He's going to be below you, in front of you, and behind you. You will not escape his presence. You will not escape his voice. You will not find a darkness where his light won't shine. If God leads you, he's with you. And more than that, God has a plan for you in Egypt. Now, we already said God's plan for for Joseph and Mary and Jesus in Egypt was to save Jesus' life, was to fully identify him with the people of Israel as the perfect fulfillment of everything Israel was supposed to do, and also as an encouragement to you and me and every non-Jewish person in the world that Jesus came for us. And so God has a plan. He sent them, and they had to do the plan. Now, in, in the scope of that big plan, there were little plans as well. Joseph had to work. Mary had to continue to raise Jesus. They had to find a home. They had to do all of these sorts of things. And they were trusting that even in Egypt, God leads and God directs. And so for you and I this morning, if you find yourself in that season, what I want to encourage you with is God has a plan for you there. Now, when we find ourselves in an unwanted season, when we find ourselves in an Egypt-type moment, almost all of us, our primary prayer is, God, get me out of here right? Get me back to the promised land. Get me back to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Get me back to the land of abundant harvests and nice weather and people who look like me and talk like me. Get me back where I want to be. But if we really believe that God leads us into Egypt for a purpose and he has a plan for us in Egypt, then it means our prayer has to shift when we're there from primarily God, get me out to primarily God, what do you want to do here? What are you trying to say? What do I need to learn? And when we make that shift, what we begin to understand is Egypt becomes a place where we can hear God's voice very clearly. Because when our comfort is stripped away, when our plan falls apart, when everything we thought should happen doesn't happen, we come to the Lord not only with the desperation of get me out of here, but it should also come with the desperation of Lord, let me hear you here. Will you speak to me? And as you begin, Egypt drives you to your knees in prayer. Egypt drives you to the scriptures looking for inspiration. Egypt drives you to the community of faith around you asking for encouragement and support. And as we embrace the place that God has put us, we begin to learn the lessons God has for us. And his plan is always to use where you are to prepare you for where you're going to be. And, and I don't mean to, to make light of your situations this morning. I, I know what it's like. And I look back at the, the 20 years that Angie and I have been married. And, and for us, we've been through a lot of seasons where it's felt like Egypt. And I, was, I was thinking even this morning, in 20 years, I can literally look back, and it's about every four to six years, there is some kind of significant disruption that's occurred in our life. We've never liked it. We've never asked for it. And we never want to go through it again. And it's been family issues. 
It's been death, it's been injury, it's been sickness, it's been uncertainty about our future and our calling. It's been all of these and more. And every time we've gone through them, our prayer is always, God, get us out of here. But before God gets us out of there, he always teaches us lessons that we can only learn there. I can think back to a period in in my late uh, college, early seminary years. One of the most painful seasons of my life is we just dealt with loss after loss and frustration after frustration and letdown after letdown. And it felt like every time the phone rang, rang, rung, whatever it did, you were afraid to answer it because it was just more bad news waiting. It was more disappointment. It was more heartache. But I also know now, 20 years after that, looking back, there were lessons that God sowed into me in that year and a half that honestly might have taken me 30 years to learn on my own. I didn't want to be there. I don't want to go back there. But I'm thankful for what he taught me. And then I can, I can take you to each one of those that Angie and I have walked through and said, it was awful and we don't want to repeat it, but here's what we learned and here's how God spoke. And in every experience of Egypt that we have had, God has strengthened and deepened our faith in a way that would have been impossible in the promised land. And again, I don't wish that on you. I promise you, I am not praying for any of you to have some Egypt experiences. I'm praying that you have promised land experiences that you have the land flowing with milk and honey, that you have an abundance of God's grace and his goodness. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. Even if 2022 becomes a year where God leads you into Egypt, it can still be a promised land experience. You don't know God's grace and his goodness until everything's stripped away from you. You don't know peace and joy and hope until Jesus is your only source for those things. And so even if this year is one where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my encouragement to you is you are going to know the Lord as your shepherd who comforts, who convicts, who leads, who guides, who strengthens, who gives hope, who matures your faith, who grows your courage, who does all he wants to do and more. Now, if you're you're in Egypt again, there's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, get me out of here. And sometimes God does that. In Matthew chapter 2, we see how he does that for Jesus. Jesus is just in Egypt for a season. Verse 19, it says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So most people think, depending on how you you work the timeline of Herod's death, that Jesus was probably in Egypt for about a year, maybe slightly less than a year. Now, for for many of us, we know a year is not that long, right? And the older you are, the less time a year seems. Uh, When you're little, it seems like forever. The older you get, it seems like a moment and a year is gone. For Joseph and Mary, it's just a quick year. Almost as soon as they're settled, it's time to go back to Israel. This time they, they go back and they settle in Nazareth. It seems as if maybe they've decided they'd rather deal with the, the rumors of Nazareth than the threat of death in Bethlehem. So they go back and they settle in Nazareth and things seem to be back on track and going well again. And this is where we all want to be when we find ourselves in an Egypt-like experience of, okay, Lord, I will do it, but will you please lead me out? Right? We're, we're just waiting for someone to kind of show up and sing the Let My People Go song. 
Like, hey, let's go. Let's come out. And, and, and this week, as I was thinking about this, I, I am praying for Christian Chapel that 2022 is a year for you individually, a year for you as families, a year for us as a church where we experience the escape from Egypt and the blessing of walking into the promised land. For those of you that have been praying dreams for a long time of unfulfilled dreams of unmet expectations, I'm praying 2022 is a year where you experience God's abundant answers. For those of you, if it's financial, if it's health, if it's relational, and you feel like I've just been here and I've been stuck, I'm praying this is the year that God throws open the doors and he leads you into the answers to all those prayers you've been praying. That it will be a year of health, it will be a year of blessing, it will be a year of provision, it will be a year where you see the hand of the Lord at work in your life and he Here's what we know. When you've been in Egypt, you appreciate the promised land even more. Because you know, I didn't earn this and I didn't create it. Right? You might get the promotion, but this year you will understand it's come at the hand of the Lord. You might begin the relationship, but you know it's not all on you, but the Lord has provided and directed. You might receive the baby into your family, but you know this child is the gift from God to us. And when we understand it's the Lord who leads us out, then we receive those gifts of the promised land more ready to faithfully steward them in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord and our hearts remain humble before him and before others. And his blessings become an opportunity for us to tell others about his grace and his goodness and the good things that he's done in our life. And so God may lead you out, and if he leads you out, you should go out with rejoicing. And you should tell others about the goodness of the Lord and the things that he has done for you. But then sometimes God may lead you to stay in Egypt. Now, this wasn't God's plan for Jesus. His plan was to go out. But as you go back in the story of Israel, you see that there were generations of God's people that only knew Egypt. They were born in Egypt, they lived in Egypt, they died in Egypt. And what we know now on the other side of the arrival of Christ is that his kingdom is no longer defined by a physical nation in the world, but everywhere his spirit rules and reigns, the kingdom of Christ rules and reigns. So what that means for you and I is our experience of the promised land is not about getting back to a particular place. It's about experiencing grace right here where we are. And occasionally, God will come to us, and the place we've always called Egypt, he will say, actually, that's your promised land. Sometimes God has to lead us into places we would not go on our own, so we can learn it's where we were created to be. And if we had time, you could go around the room, and we could tell our stories this morning. Right, we, we could tell, I mean, I love Tulsa. Love it. It's my favorite place I've ever lived. I don't think Tulsa is on the top five list of most people in the world for places they want to live, right? It's, again, no shots fired. I love it here. I was born in Missouri and raised in Kansas. This is as good as it's been for me, okay? It's, it's great. But, but we can all admit this is not like, we don't have beaches or mountains. We don't have any of the stuff that would normally draw people to want to live here. We have a weird climate. It's going to be 74 on Christmas Eve and 35 two days later. Like, who decides to go live somewhere like that? And yet, for many of us, this is where God led us. And, and for many of us, we probably thought it was a seasonal move, a temporary move. And yet, once we got here, we realized, I love this place. I was made for this place. This is where God had planned. Some of you, 
You're sitting next to a spouse this morning that you used to think was Egypt. All right, that's super offensive. I know, but it's true. Not all of you, not Angie, some of you though, right? And it's just that thought of like, you guys were friends, but you never looked at them like that. Or you were dating, but you, they were just a placeholder, right? Till somebody better came along. You never really paid attention. Maybe you even got married and, and you weren't following Jesus. And when you got married, you thought, eh, this will be fine for a couple years. And yet what happened? God led you to this place and you discovered, wow, that, this dude that sat next to me in class and was kind of annoying, was actually kind of great. This, this girl that, that I just always viewed as like one of my sister's friends, she's pretty wonderful. And God began to reveal, this isn't just a place that led you for a season. It's not just something temporary. You are made for each other. Two are going to become one. And what God has joined together, no one is going to separate. And what you thought was temporary, God has made permanent. Some of us, we're working jobs this morning that we never would have chose on our own. And I, I don't know how many conversations I've had over the years where I'm asking somebody, what do you do? And then they tell me what they do. And I say, how did you get started? And they, they don't have the right degree to work in that field. They don't have a family background in that field. They just kind of blind, it seems like blind luck, they stumbled into it. Oftentimes they hated it at the beginning and they thought, I'm just doing this until I can do what I really want. And then over the course of a couple months or a couple years, they discovered, I'm actually made for this. Like God made me for spreadsheets. I don't understand it. I, if you feel that way, I will affirm God made you for spreadsheets because I don't understand it. Right? So, so, there's so many of those stories where God, he has to take us there just long enough that we'll lay down our plans and listen for his. And when it happens and he says, hey, this is where you're going to stay, it's not like a oh man, I'm being punished. God's mad at me, I guess. But, but there's just, there comes this moment where you just realize everything I've longed for, God is accomplishing. And this place that I thought was temporary, he's really actually planting me. And it becomes a beautiful experience of God's grace. And oftentimes he begins to change your dreams and he begins to change your hopes and you begin to just look at the world differently. For, for Angie and I, when we came to Christian Chapel in 2005 to, to be the youth pastors, we saw this as a, a temporary assignment. We thought we'll be here five, six years and then we'll invest as, as, as much as we can, we'll do as well as we can and then God will lead us somewhere else. And so when I say Christian Chapel and Tulsa are our Egypt. I, I want you to hear me appropriately. We don't view it as a land of bondage and oppression. We view it as a land where God has led us for our thriving and our good. And now here we are, 16 years later, knowing for certain that God is not calling us out anytime soon. I mean, it's literally going to take a 10 plagues Red Sea kind of moment to get us out of here. And if he wants to do it, he can. But what we've experienced over the last, I would say especially over the last five years, is this clear revelation from the Lord that this is not a place I have just called you for a season, but it is where I have planted you. This is your promised land. So put yourself to work like you're going to die here. Hopefully a long time away, right? 
And, and when you come to that discovery, it just becomes this really beautiful experience. Now, Jesus gets called out of Egypt. You might or you might not. That doesn't really matter. What really matters is where has God led you and what is God saying to you? Because our job, whether we're headed into Egypt, out of Egypt, or staying in Egypt, is to hear God's voice and obey what he says. And so my encouragement to you this morning is don't waste your Egypt. Don't view this as, I don't know what your season of life is, but if you're in a moment where you think, I can't wait to get out of here. I got to get out of this job. I got to get out of this school. I got to get out of this home. I got to get out of this marriage. I got to get away from these kids. I got to get away from these parents. I've got to get away from this responsibility. I've got to get away from that headache. If that's where you are this morning, don't waste this moment because God is with you and God has a plan for you. And he is coming even in the season of Advent to remind us that Jesus has arrived in Egypt with us. And he's come and he's brought his salvation and he's brought the clear voice of his Holy Spirit and he has a purpose and a plan for this exact moment in this exact season of your life. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you. And then the band's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a final song this morning. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're in a place this morning where, where you would say, I, I know what my Egypt is, and I need to know that God is with me and God is working, will you raise your hand where you are so I can pray with you? Lord, you see us and you know the details of all of our situations. So God, we come today and we pray that you would remind us that you are here in this season with us. And Lord, as we have questions, as we have fears, we have doubts and uncertainties, we believe you are not only with us, but we believe you have a plan for us. And so God, we are coming this morning asking that you would release the voice of your Holy Spirit to speak loudly and clearly to us. Remind us that we are your sons and your daughters, that you are the Lord who directs our steps on right paths for your namesake, that you will never leave us or forget about us. You have never turned your eyes away from us You've heard every prayer, you've seen every tear. And now, Lord, we pray as we sit in these seasons we can't wait to get out of, will you come and reveal your plan? Will you come and show us the lessons that we have to learn, the spaces where you wanna strengthen and deepen our faith? Lord, as we release control of our life to you, we believe that your plans are best and your path is the one we wanna walk. So Lord, will you come this week and will you speak to us through the scriptures? Will you speak to us through the voice of your spirit? Will you speak to us through the community of faith you've planted us in? And will you remind us that what we see as blind corners ahead, you see as just another step in our journey. You are the God who knows our beginning from our end and has a purpose for every step along the way. So Lord, we submit to you and we pray that whether you lead us out or you call us to stay, that we will embrace this place as a space of grace to know your goodness and to know your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.